You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. No, we're going to have a great time. And as I told you uh, last week, by the way, if you missed last week's uh, message, please go out and listen to it. We're doing a little bit different last week, this week, and next week. And uh, it's, it's going to be more of a line-by-line type of thing. And we're studying 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and the 4th through the 8th verses. So let's look at this. This is our foundation scripture. It's there on your notes. By the way, if you came in, didn't receive a handout, we'll get one to you. And a pen if you need a pen so you can jot some things down. But let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Verse 7, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. And the verse 8 wraps up by saying this, love never fails. Turn to somebody close by you and tell them love never fails. Amen. Well, again, I want to just share with you that a lot of the material from last week's message, this week's message, and next week's message comes from this book right here. I highly recommend this book for you to have in your library. This is uh, Pastor Rick Renner, his book, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, Volume 1. There are two volumes And what this is, is a daily devotion. It's 365 devotions. Uh, And what he does is he'll take a small portion of scripture, such as from 1 Corinthians 13, and he will uh, break it down in the Greek and tell you what the Greek says. And uh, the reason that I encourage you to, to see this and to get this is because the Greek language is very, very, uh, pictorial. It paints a great picture, uh, a lot more so than the English language does, and it will help you understand. Somebody says, well, why is that important? Well, you know, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, so it, you know, it doesn't hurt you to have a dictionary that you can look at some Hebrew words like a concordance, but in the, the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek. It started out in uh, the Gospels were written in Aramaic. That's the language that Jesus spoke and Hebrew, and then uh, it was translated to Greek and Latin because those were the languages that were spoken in the day. And so, uh, you know, the Greek language, again, will just help you really begin to understand what was being discussed. And so, 
In the Greek language, I told you last week, there are four words that are used for the word love. You remember I said, uh, to, I did a poll. I said, how many of you love your mama? And everybody raised their hand. And I said, how many of you love your job? And, and some raised their hand. Uh, I said, how many of you love hot dogs and pizza? And everybody kind of raised their hands. Uh, but the problem is, we, in the English language, we use the same word, love, for all of those things. And hopefully, you love your mama more than you do pizza. And so, you know, again, it's differing words, whereas in the Greek language, if you used one of those different words, a Greek person would know exactly what you're talking about. Only two of those words are in the Greek language, and that is the Greek word phileo, which means a brotherly kind of love. And then this word right here, agape, which is the highest kind of love that loves selfish or selflessly rather and sacrificially. And so what we have here is this word is the word that's used talking about the love of God. So if you're writing things down, I wanted to just make this one point that we talked about last week, and that is this, agape love is not based on feelings, it's based on a decision. Agape love is not based on feelings, it is based on a decision. So, you know, what the, the thing about it is, you know, for those of you who are married, there are going to be days, and just to be honest, that you wake up and you don't feel married. Well, guess what? You don't act on what you feel like. You're married whether you like it or not. And uh, so you better act accordingly, you know. And so, you know, it's a decision that says, you know, I may not feel like loving this person right now, but the agape kind of love says, you know what, I'm going to decide to love anyway. I'm going to decide to love like God loves. And so this is a decision of the heart. It's one that you make, whether you feel like it or not. And, uh, you know, it's a divine love. Agape love is a divine love that gives and gives and gives and gives. And I said this to you, even if it's never thanked or responded to. And that's heavy. You know, because human nature is when we give something, we want some response back. We want some level of appreciation, you know, expressed to us. We want something said, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth of the matter is agape love gives and serves whether anybody says thank you or not. And that's the nature of the way God is. God does what he does for humanity simply because he loves humanity. Whether, whether people respond to him or not, he is going to love people. All right? So that's the basics, basis of the agape kind of love. So what we, again, began doing last week, and you have the scriptures at the top of your notes there, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. We went through and we went covered actually the first six characteristics that Paul gives us of what love is. And so we're going to drop down and we're going to begin today to the latter part of verse 5 where it says that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Now what's interesting about the Greek word, and again, I'm not going to give you the Greek words. You can look them up. For yourself, because I mean, really, you don't speak Greek, so it wouldn't help you. 
but it would help you to understand what it means. And the Greek word for uh, is self-seeking means this, a person who is so bent or upset about getting their way that, listen, they'll take it as far as the court system to try and push and sue to get their own way. Now, that's deep. When you're willing to, you know, in a relationship, pushing for your own way that you would take it to a legal, you know, uh, process and try and and, um, get your own way or not. You know, the Bible says that uh, this love, this kind of love, not seeking its own self is contrary because a person who is self-seeking will not take no for an answer. Now, there's times when you need to be persistent. When God tells you something to do and you're standing in faith for the will of God for your life or what God has told you to do, then, you know, not taking no for an answer is okay. But when it comes to getting your own way, you know, we tell children all the time, sometimes the answer is going to be what? No, you can't have your own way. And so a person that is so intent on getting his own way will search and seek and investigate, never giving up on the pursuits of what he wants. In fact, Pastor Renner goes on to say, he's so bent on getting his way, now now keep looking at me, don't look at anybody around you. He'll keep, uh, he's so bent on getting his way that he'll twist the facts, look for loopholes, put words in other people's mouths, try to hold others accountable for promises they never made, uh, leap on administrative mistakes as opportunities to twist someone's arm or seek other methods to turn situations to his benefit. In other words, there's a word that we use for that and it's called manipulation. Love, God's kind of love is not manipulative. It doesn't learn what words to say in order to get your way and, and, and what you need to do, maybe who you need to kiss up to to try to get your way or those types of things. It doesn't try and manipulate. I can just tell you up front, point blank, manipulation is never involved with the character of God whatsoever. So if there's manipulation going on in your relationships, that is not the love of God. You know, Paul had in mind the image of somebody who was manipulative when he wrote this. And, uh, you know, have you ever been around somebody that was manipulative, that tried to manipulate you to get their way? Well, that's who he is talking about here. Um, Write this down, please. Love is not scheming or manipulating for this kind of behavior is dishonest and untruthful. So anytime again, that there is manipulation going on, it is not the love of God. So, you know, if, if you're one who likes to manipulate to try and get your way, stop. Don't do that. That is not the character of God. Scheming and, and manipulating, trying to get your own way is just flat out wrong based on the standards of God's word. Now, if you're in a relationship and you can't honestly state what you think or what you want, then don't say anything at all, okay? Speaking half-truths and white lies are operating according to a secret agenda. 
Anybody ever been around somebody that's got an agenda? Okay. Well, don't, don't let that be you. All right. And God will protect you in that. Matter of fact, we could sum it up by saying this. The Greek words in this text could be understood to mean love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. Okay, so don't do that in your relationships. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? All right, so let's move on. The next one is love is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. Have you ever been around somebody that's just touchy, that you have to walk around eggs, on eggshells around them, okay? I can tell you that's not the love of God. Let, let's talk about this situation a little bit, and I, wanna, I wanted to uh, give you a story that maybe you have read quickly over it, really didn't understand what was going on, there are two compound words that are used here in this phrase when it says it's not touchy, fretful, or resentful. And, and the Greek words that are put together, um, anybody, and, and again, if this is you, just keep looking at me, all right? If, is there anybody that, that does this? You know what buttons to push with someone in order to get a response Maybe not a response that you need, but just to get a response. And uh, you know what we need to understand? The Greek words mean to poke, to stick, to, to jab at some other person with a sharpened instrument. And you do this so much that finally the person that's being poked and stuck has had enough and, and they respond by violently and aggressively assaulting the offender. You know, have you ever pushed somebody's buttons and they finally blew up at you? Or maybe that was you. Maybe somebody was pushing your buttons and you got to the point where you had had enough. I remember when I was younger, uh, this was, you know, 36 years ago. And I'm only 27. I, I mean, go figure that. But... Uh, 36 years ago, I had a couple of roommates. It was three of us guys, and we lived in an apartment together. And one of the guys was a prankster. Anybody ever been around a prankster? Okay, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's not so funny. And sometimes it just gets old. Okay? And, and so this guy, he, you know, he's a great guy. Don't misunderstand me. You know, he didn't mean any harm, per se. But I had had the worst day at work. Anybody ever had a bad day at work? All right. So I was tired. I was frustrated. I was mad. And so I came home and as a joke, he had put Vaseline all over the doorknobs outside. Okay. You ever tried to open a door that's got Vaseline on it? All right. Well, what happened is his poking and prodding, and of course, this is a culmination of other things that had been going on. And uh, so his poking and prodding finally resulted in, when I reached down and I grabbed that door, and of course I was in a foul mood anyway, I grabbed that door and I couldn't open the door and I knew exactly who had done it and so forth and so on. I was so mad I kicked the door in. Okay, his response to that, he didn't think that was funny at all. His response was, you're going to pay for that. And, of course, that's not exactly what I needed to hear at the moment. So after uh, some colorful words and things like that, 
um, I went to my room and retired for the evening. But anyway, that's the type of thing that we're looking at is that Paul says that love doesn't do that. It doesn't keep poking and prodding and sticking and, and trying to push somebody's buttons to get a response. Now, the, the story that I want to tell you about is it's found at the, uh, the, in Luke's gospel the, and the book of Acts. And then later on in 2 Timothy, there's a character in there that we don't know much about, but we know a little bit about. His name is John Mark. John Mark. Now, it's not important that you really remember this, but it will help you to understand this story. John Mark, does anybody ever remember a man named Barnabas who traveled with the apostle Paul? Okay, Paul and Barnabas started out in ministry together. After Paul uh, got saved and, of course, turned his life over to the Lord, began to live for Jesus, and after a period of training and so forth, and in Acts the 13th chapter, uh, there is a meeting there in Jerusalem and the apostles that were there and prophets and it named some people. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out into the ministry. And Paul and Barnabas traveled uh, throughout uh, beginning the ministry, spreading the gospel, particularly to the Gentile nations. Well, Barnabas had a cousin whose name was John Mark. Now, what's interesting, a little side note, does anybody remember in the book of Acts when Peter was in prison and the angel came and set him free from prison and he went to uh, Rhoda's house? You remember he knocked on the door and a, a young lady named Rhoda answered the door, saw it was Peter, slammed the door, ran back inside and said, it's Peter. She didn't let him in. She just slammed the door, got so excited, and ran back in the house and said, hey, Peter's free. Well, they had been praying for Peter. Well, it was John Mark's house that they were at when they were having that prayer meeting. And so this was a young man. He was just getting started in ministry. And so what happens is he and, and Paul and Barnabas and John Mark go out together. Barnabas takes his cousin, John Mark, out on some of their missionary journeys well, what happens is when times got tough, when there was persecution and some hard times that they run in, ran into, John Mark bailed on Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. He quit and went back to Jerusalem. Now, this made such an impact and frustrated Paul to a great degree. And so there was a discussion that took place and in Acts, the 15th chapter. Now, again, we put these guys on pedestals. We forget Paul, Barnabas, Peter, all of these were men. They were human beings. Okay, so if you look, and I, I put these scriptures down there for you uh, on your notes, and uh, most of them anyway. Acts chapter 15, verses 37 through 41 and it, and it says this, that this is a discourse that's going on between Paul and Barnabas. And it says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, John Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now I'm kind of with Paul on this. If I'm taking somebody with me in ministry, and when the time gets tough, you know, that's usually when the tough get going. But this kid, this young man, bailed on them 
And I probably would have responded the same way. I don't know. I'm not, you know, but I'm just guessing. So look at what happened. It says in, uh, that he bailed with them, uh, bailed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then notice verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they parted from one another. Now, if you just read that, you would gloss over that and think, well, they just disagreed. And because they disagreed, they decided to go in different directions of ministry. But when you look in the Greek language, it's the Greek word, same Greek word that's used in 1 Corinthians 13. In other words, their words got so sharp with one another that there was poking, prodding, until finally Paul responded and had enough and said, nope, he's not going with us. And there were, uh, you know, very, very uh, coarse, tense words between them. Matter of fact, a um, little side note, and I'm going somewhere with this. Anybody in here like salt and vinegar potato chips besides me? Okay. Um, you know, they have a peculiar flavor. Vinegar has a peculiar flavor. It has a very peculiar smell about it too. But I remember one time there was, uh, I was experiencing some uh, pain in my calves and uh, a friend of mine who is an athletic director in a high school, he said, what, part, part of part, what is your problem is your pH balance is off and you've got too much uh, uh, alkaline in your system. He said, what you need to do is go drink some pickle juice or vinegar and that'll raise your acid level in your system. Well, I did that. I will never do that again. I don't care how much pain my, my legs get into. Vinegar is some of the worst tasting stuff you could ever just chug a lug, all right? And, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's just sharp, it's, it's bitter, it leaves a taste in your mouth for a while. Well, what's interesting is one of the compound words here that's used in this conversation and 1 Corinthians 13 is the Greek word for vinegar. That this poking and prodding and stabbing and, you know, and jabbing and everything that was going on resulted in being equivalent to drinking or experiencing vinegar. It's bitter. It, it's, it doesn't taste good. It's, it's strong. It's severe. It's sour. And uh, so the words that came up between Paul and Barnabas were just like drinking that vinegar. They were severe. They were sour. They were bitter and so forth and so on. And as a result, these two men parted forever for the rest of their lives in ministry. Now, it doesn't mean that they lost their salvation. They agreed to disagree and just go in different directions. And of course, we know what happens. Paul eventually connected with Silas and Paul and Silas went on the rest of their ministry. Now, what's interesting is, the good news and the, the bright ending to this story is this. There must have been a change of heart that took place because in his second letter to Timothy, Paul wrote Timothy and he said this, bring John Mark with you because he's beneficial for the ministry. So I thought that was really cool that there was apparently either John Mark matured or there was a, a resolution that took place, maybe, uh, you know, some apologies, whatever the case might be, 
But, but Paul ended up requesting John Mark join him back in ministry. And so he did and continued on. But what's my point? The point is this, and that is this, write this down. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp that they cause an ugly or violent response. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says this, a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, if you're ever in a meeting or a business meeting or some type of situation and, you know, tensions are, are being elevated, anybody ever been in a situation like that where you can see where tempers are rising, blood pressure's going up, people are beginning to respond and, and, and say things, the best thing you can do in that situation, particularly as a Christian, is de-escalate it, zip your mouth, and give it time to sit back down and to, to cool off. And so that's what it means when it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Did you know tone of voice is everything? I know I told you I was going to last week give you some relationship counseling. This is free. This won't cost you anything. But if you want to de-escalate a situation, watch your tone of mouth. Yeah, it's awfully quiet in here today, okay? No, watch how you say stuff. Do you say things? And when you respond to someone, uh, it's sharp and bitter and strong and acidy like vinegar would be. Well, learn how to temper that and maybe give a soft answer and cause those tensions to de-escalate and cause that relationship uh, to be able to be saved and restored. All right? Now, are you getting anything out of this so far? All right, let's look at the next phrase. And it says this, love takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, this is a big one, and I'm going to spend probably the majority of the time this morning on this one. This is the ninth point that Paul gives us about love. And he says this, love, agape love, takes no account of evil done to it. Um, the Greek word that's used here is, is interesting. It's a Greek word that represents accounting, like an accountant would use, a CPA would use. It's an accounting term. Uh, that could be better translated to count, to count. Now, this is going to make sense to you in just a moment. Uh, it literally means to credit something to someone's account. Like if you made a deposit and that money gets credited to your account. It, it's an image of a bookkeeper who's meticulously keeping books and financial records. Now, this is going to make sense to you in just a second. In this case, the accountant and the bookkeeper is an offended person who keeps detailed records of every wrong that was ever done to them. You, you, again, if I'm describing you, just look at me. Nobody will ever know. Okay? But do you keep score in your relationships? In your marriage, do you keep score of, oh, well, he said this or she said this? And, and uh, you can remember stuff from 25 years ago that was said or done. 
You're keeping score. You're an accountant. You're writing and keeping records of what was wrong. And so just like that bookkeeper has an entry for every debit and credit on the books, this person is painstakingly storing in his memory all the mistakes, the faults, the grievances, the disappointments, failures, or perceived wrongdoings that someone has made against you. Wow. That's something we ought not do. We ought not keep score. We ought not make note. And that might not be something that you literally write down, but you remember stuff. You remember words that were spoken. You remember actions that were uh, spoken to you. Remember, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when I was teaching on forgiveness and I talked about how, you know, unfortunately with forgiveness that the Lord teaches us that we ought to do in the scriptures, it does not include spiritual amnesia. In other words, you know, I wish that, that when we say, Lord, I forgive so-and-so for what they said or did, God would come down, wave his magic wand over our heads, and all of a sudden that would be wiped away and we would never remember that again. But you're going to have opportunities to remember things that were done, words that were spoken, ways people offended you, and, and again, when that comes up, you're going to have to deal with it. So what are we supposed to do with it? Well, the thing you don't want to do is keep main, and maintain records of that. Remember those things. You know, I'm reminded of what David wrote in the 103rd Psalm, and this shows us the character and the nature of God. Look at Psalm, it's there in your notes, 103, verse 3, Psalm 103, verse 3. David, of course, he began the psalm by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. The next verse in verse 10 says this, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now here's the, the good news about the love of God. While you're living this life, and as a believer, and you're walking with Jesus, endeavoring to uh, follow Him the best that you possibly can, and obey what He says, Thank God for the mercy of God. In other words, God will not deal with you in the way that you deserve. You know, it's mercy is God not pouring into our lives what we do deserve. His grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Okay, and, and we need to remember that. And then verse 12 finally says this in the same psalm. Uh, David wrote and he said, so as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Now there's a scripture that uh, in Isaiah that says your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. Now the good news in this is, write this down please, is although he could remember your past mistakes, if he chose to do so, God doesn't and never will choose to remember them. See, we need to learn how to walk in the love of God and not keep score, not uh, keep books, if you will, of all the things that have happened in our lives. Uh, write this down, please, if you don't mind. If you are tempted to keep mental records of wrongs 
someone has done to you, you're not giving to that person the same mercy that God has given you. Oh, wow. I never want to find myself standing before Jesus when I had an opportunity to extend mercy to somebody and I didn't. And he asked me the question, well, didn't I forgive you of a lot? And the answer would have to be yes. Yes, Lord. And I don't want to ever hear him have to answer or ask me the question, well, why didn't you extend to them the same mercy that I've extended to you? You see, write this down, please. Someone who has been forgiven as much as you have been forgiven has no right to keep a record of someone else's mistakes. I'm going to say amen for myself on that one, okay? I have no business keeping record of somebody else's failure, shortcomings, sin, mistakes, all of those types of things. And you know what? We live in a culture and a society today that doesn't forget. You know, because of the internet, you can go and, you know, I'm, I guess the internet now is probably 25 years old at least as far as information that's out there. And you can go and dig up stuff about anybody. You can go and dig up stuff that's not true about anybody. And find out, you know, because records are being kept and unfortunately the world does not let that slide. You know, a lot of times you ever notice this, that when a very, very well-known minister experiences a moral failure and they lose their ministry and have to, you know, start over or whatever the case is, did you know God forgives them and it's as though it never happened? But you know what? The world will not. And so forever, for the rest of their time here in the earth, most likely their ministry will never be what it was originally. Not because God hasn't forgiven them, but people will not. And so unfortunately, uh, it, you know, now there are some that maybe uh, go through a restoration process and are able to be restored and be healthy and be able to serve in ministry. But here's the, the sad thing about it is they will never have the platform that they had one time before because people do not forget. But God does. Write this down, please. If you have a hard time releasing people from their past wrong, it's a sign that you need agape love to be released in your life. You remember I told you, I said the love of God can never reach its full maximum potential in you. In other words, flowing out of you towards other people until you get a revelation of how much God loves you. God loves us. He forgives us. He, he cleanses us. He wipes our past away. And until we fully understand, and I say it all the time and, and we go, ha, ha, yeah, that's true. I say it, God is not mad at us. He loves us. He loves you. You're his most prized possession. The Bible says that you are the apple, the core of his eye. Jesus paid such a great price for each and every one of us. And the truth of the matter is, until we get a full revelation of I am loved, I am forgiven, God is not upset with me, He sees me as I am in Christ and 
all of the truths that go with that, until we get that full revelation down in our hearts, we're going to struggle with loving other people and forgiving other people and letting the past go. We need to do that. Can I get an amen? Thank you. That was awfully weak. I'll try it again. Can I get a better amen? So, in fact, if you're flipping back to that old record of wrongs again, bringing up past grievances that should have been forgiven and forgotten, it means that you and I are not perfected in love. Throw your diary away. Turn to the person beside you and say, throw it away. Let it go. Okay? All right, let's go to the next one. Love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Now, I'm going to maybe get to some nitty-gritty with this one, but don't worry. There, there's healing at the end. Okay? Um, you ever been in a situation to where, on your job maybe, you were really, 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 really desiring a raise or a promotion or both at the same time. And uh, you were working hard. You've been doing your very best and you've been, uh, you know, just showing up on time, giving 100%, going over and above when your boss would ask you to do stuff and, and so forth and so on. And then somebody else got that promotion, and somebody else got that raise. And, and according to your perspective, they didn't work as hard as you in that situation and, and, and haven't been as loyal and, and, and so forth and so on. And, and again, and I re, we, we remembered my word, this is a hypothetical, uh, rhetorical question. You don't need to uh, respond to this, but did it make you mad? I'm going to answer for me, yes, I've been in that position and it made me mad. Why? Because I knew I deserved it and they didn't. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, love does not rejoice at injustice and righteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. How many of you have uh, ever had this happen? When you, somebody did something wrong to you, and you know they did, and then something happens to them bad, and you, again, rhetorical, you got happy about it because they got what they deserved. You know, there's, <laughs> it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. On Instagram, there is, and I don't know why this started showing up on my feed in Instagram, but Somehow, there's a, there, somebody happened through dash cams and whatever has, has put a, videos together of people that got, and of course, I don't believe in this, but I'm using that word, instant karma on the road. You know, where somebody will, you know, spout off or, or, or just go nuts in road rage, and they go down the road a little ways, and all of a sudden, they, you know, wreck or have an accident, and, and the response that when you're watching that video is, yeah, that should have happened. They got what they deserved because of the way they acted and the way that they responded. Well, the fact of the matter is, Paul says the love of God doesn't act that way. 
The love of God doesn't get happy when bad things happen to people who have done bad things to you, nor does the love of God get offended and upset when somebody else gets promoted with a promotion that you wanted and thought you deserved. Am I, am I kind of hitting home here? Okay. Well, write this down, please. <laughs> Agape love doesn't rejoice at someone else's misfortunes. There's a, and I didn't include it in your notes, but there's actually a scripture in Proverbs that says, when you rejoice at someone else's misfortunes, watch out because it could happen to you. Now, it doesn't mean God is going to cause it, but it could mean that you opened the door to it because you got happy because somebody else experienced some hard times. Um, love isn't threatened by, let me say this. When we rejoice when someone else experiences misfortune, okay, again, what happens is we're not functioning in the love of God and so we're opening ourselves up to be attacked from the enemy on the flip side of that when someone else gains some kind of advantage in life over us when we thought we deserved that advantage love isn't threatened by that you know what let me say it to you this way when somebody else gets that promotion that you thought you deserved, if you will keep your heart right and walk in love God will make sure that the promotion comes to you and probably even better than what you were wanting or desiring. You want me to prove it to you? Ask Joseph in the Bible. If there was anybody in the Old Testament that had a right to be bitter, to be frustrated, to be angry, for the rest of his life, it was Joseph. You know, I've experienced some tough times and some misfortunes caused by other people, but I've never had my own kinfolk sell me into slavery and then get bought by some people that take me into a foreign land and then some woman that I'm serving in her husband's house accuses me of rape when I didn't do it and I get thrown into prison. All because of stuff I'd had nothing to do with. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I've never experienced that, but Joseph did. So what happened to Joseph? Well, because he kept his heart right, he stayed faithful to God, God blessed him, and, and this is what's remarkable. When he was in Potiphar's house, the Bible says that God poured out blessing on Potiphar's house in spite of Potiphar, but because of Joseph, God blessed Potiphar's house, caused increase to come, then when all that happens with Potiphar's wife and he gets thrown into prison again because he kept his heart right, he, he, he was in prison and he had such favor with God and with the warden over the prison, the warden makes him head in charge of all the other prisoners in prison. And then eventually, because he kept his heart right, God remembered him, brought him out of prison and where did he end up? Somebody tell me. Do you remember? Where did Joseph end up at the end of the story? Where was he? Second in command 
to all of Egypt. Talking about a promotion. Okay, why? Because he kept his heart right and didn't say, well, you know what? They got what they deserved. No, he kept his heart right, walked in the love of God, and God was able to promote him. Now, of course, it was for a higher purpose because of that promotion. Uh, Joseph was able to save his whole family. You know, there were 70 people that moved down there out of uh, his family, and they were able to be sustained during a rough time of famine. Now, guess what ended up happening because of Joseph's faithfulness? Two million people 400 years later came out of Egypt and were brought into the promised land, all because of Joseph not getting bitter and angry when somebody else did him wrong and wishing that they got there just. So anyway, praise the Lord. I can tell y'all are just so thrilled about this. Hallelujah. So I'm just kidding. But write this down, please. Love celebrates when someone else receives a blessing that you have desired and is moving up with their life. Man, what a test. What a test. As a Christian, you know, when you're around other Christians, you know, here's the big thing. Let me, let me really paint this picture for you. You've been saved a long time. You know, I've been saved, I gave my heart to Christ in 1977, December of 1977. So nearly 46 years. Uh, again, that's hard to believe because I'm only 28. And so again, you know, it, it's just mind-blowing to me. But, you know, I've been walking with the Lord 40, 46 years now almost and and uh, so here's somebody that gets saved two weeks ago and they ask God to do something for them, heal their body, provide for them, do some type of miracle and God shows up instantaneously for them and meets the need, heals their body, provides for them, does something that they need him to do and I have to stand in faith for two years for the same thing. You have an opportunity to go, God, that's not fair. Well, guess what? That is really none of my business. And the fact of the matter is, the test is, can I celebrate when they get that blessing from God and I rejoice with them? I get happy with them. I celebrate with them. And here's what you're going to have to tell yourself is that in those moments when you see that happen, Here's what you're going to have to tell yourself, and this will help you keep your heart right. Just remember these two words, I'm next. And if you'll do that, it'll help you keep your heart right. You can celebrate with that person and just know, hey, man, if, if God, first of all, God's no respect to our persons, and he, if he moved in their life, he's moving in my life. Matter of fact, that's what we just sang just a little while ago. When it doesn't look like he's moving in my life, that's when he's moving the most. And that's the way we have to keep our heart attitude. And so I, I just encourage you again, like we did last week and this week, I want you to take a couple of moments and I want you to examine your heart and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to, to minister to you and speak to you and, and deal with you to see, are there areas where maybe you're not walking in the love of God? You know, again, these are the standards. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that's the standard. 
This is what we should look like. Now, we're all a work in progress. Thank God. We're all on our way. We haven't arrived at perfection yet. So we're all working and growing and developing that. But the quickest way to deal with it when you see something where you don't measure up is to repent, ask God to forgive you, and then believe for him to help you to grow in that area so you can do better next time. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.